I love playoff baseball. Charlie and I have been watching every possible game we can for the past three weeks. I love it because it's actually a little slower and there's these pauses in between the plays so you can catch your breath. And I love how you get to watch the same players night after night and you hear the commentators tell these these little nuggets about who they really are and who these people are. Now, I know some of you think baseball is just not the best spectator sport, especially from your own home, because maybe it moves too slowly. But see, I think because of those pauses between the plays, the time between the pitches, a deeper story comes to light. I was watching the Rays pitcher, Blake Snell, and I was able to notice that right before he pitches and he's looking at the catcher to get the signs, he squints a little bit. It made me wonder, I wonder if his eyesight is fading. But my favorite moment that was only possible because baseball allowed for the time for it to be shown was in the very first game of the World Series and Mookie Betts stole second base for the second time. And right there, in the middle of the field, on second base, the Rays shortstop, Willie, grabbed Mookie and they embraced. Two grown men, supposed opponents, hugged with smiles on their faces right then and there. It's not supposed to be this way, especially in sports, between two guys. It was this radical act of unity. I have watched it over and over and I am so impressed with this. Friends, our world needs more radical acts of unity. The election is two days away and I wonder how you and how I, as followers of Jesus, might be able to create and foster radical unity in the places where we live and work. As most of us have already experienced, we are going to continue to watch and to listen to people we do not agree with on issues, ethical standards, convictions, and all of those people, those very things, they run so very deep within them. Some of these people might be in our own family or close group of friends. There is this letter written to the church in Ephesus that gave these early churches tools for figuring out how to do life together, especially with those that might have different opinions. Paul and those he taught knew that one of the major things that Jesus focused on was unity. In Jesus's final prayer in the Gospel of John, after Jesus prays with God for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, Jesus then takes a moment and prays for you and me, for those that will come to know him later. And in that prayer, He prays 
that we might be one. While he could have had his prayer for us be, I pray that they will not fight. I pray that they will care for the poor. I pray that they will be nice people. Jesus prays for us to be one. Over the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at the ways this letter challenges us to live in radical unity amongst other people, especially those who are not like us, with those who we fundamentally disagree with, with those who are on the other side of the aisle, and yet those that we are in community with. Before we hear the scripture, will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Chapter three, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we all can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This letter that is written to the Ephesian church, most scholars believe was a circular letter, meaning that it probably originally went to Ephesus, but then was passed on to other churches as a means of keeping the communication between the churches consistent. You see, these early churches were very diverse. Some were filled with non-Jews, Gentiles. Others were mostly Jews who had converted to following Christ. Others were a mix. There were men, women, and children. There were slaves and slave owners. There were wealthy and there were poor people. Friends, much like the church of today, it is filled with diverse people. We can learn from this letter. At the end of chapter three, the part I just read is a prayer. In it is a prayer for the church to have knowledge of something that, that the author says surpasses knowledge. Does that make you wanna lean in a little bit more? I mean, who doesn't want to be in the know? We listen to podcasts, we read papers, we watch the YouTube videos, we do our research, we read books like smart people books, we get degrees and certificates. We love 
to try to acquire as much knowledge as possible. Have you ever wondered, how much do I really know? Do I know enough to, to be able to even speak on an issue? Is it at least more than the other person I'm speaking to? <laughs> Boris and Sarah Sidis must have thought their son, William, had more knowledge than any others. Because at 18 months, William, who his mom called Billy, could read the New York Times cover to cover. Billy is known as one of the smartest people in all of history. You might remember the movie Good Will Hunting. It is loosely based on his life. Billy's mother wrote down their parenting method later in life. And there were a few of her nuggets that caught my attention. She said, try not, try not to say don't. Instead, explain why you say what you say is so. Awaken curiosity is, it is the key to learning. Never fail to answer and never put off your child's questions. And plant ideas at bedtime, just before sleep. Suggestions made then will make a solid impression. Never lie to your child and don't show your child off. While there are so many good nuggets of wisdom in these, I also know that having my children have a certain level of knowledge or achieving a status of being the smartest or the brightest, that is not my main job as a parent. Although I am tempted to think that the brilliance and the successes of my children do have some way to reflect on my own capabilities. I believe that scripture calls me and my family and all of us to a higher calling than growing in our knowledge of the world. We are called to have radical knowledge, but not just for eight syllable words or solving algebraic proofs or knowing all the words to every new rap song or achieving a certain score on our SAT. Paul prays for the church to have a radical knowledge. He writes, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The Greek word that's used here for surpass, it means to throw past something. Picture our knowledge at one point, and then God's love is always way beyond it. God's love will always outthrow, outpace, outdo anything of our knowledge. I want us to consider how would knowing more and understanding more of the love of Christ help us live in radical unity with others? First, radical knowledge of Christ's love, it roots and grounds us in life. One of my wise pastor friends told me this very week that what adolescents need more than anything else from their parents 
is consistency. They need consistent presence, consistent discipline, consistent communication, and consistent love. He said every single thing in their lives is changing. I felt kind of like an adolescent the past nine months, have you? It seems like everything in our lives is changing. We are all longing for something steady. Well, guess what, friends? Guess what has remained consistent? The love of God in Christ. Consistent presence. Giving us something to keep us grounded. Giving us a mysterious sense of being held. I want you to imagine with me what this would be. Imagine roots growing out of your feet so when you are pressed and stressed, we are not crushed. So the next time that we are down, we know there is a foundation supporting us. Remember with me that before any of us were born, Christ died so that we might have abundant and eternal life. And as we remember that, another root goes down. Remember with me how Jesus was willing to touch the unclean, to talk with the outsiders, to eat with sinners, to give hope to the poor, and then a root is strengthened. Remember with me how when you lost your loved ones, as sad as you were, you somehow felt held and sustained in this mysterious way. You have told me these stories. Friends, may these memories, may they root and ground us in love. Radical knowledge of God's love roots and grounds us and it fills us up in ways that the world can never do. Look back at verse 19. It says, may you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, all the fullness of God. I picture myself as an empty pitcher, just letting the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge fill me up so much so that those other things that I think can fill me up, they have no space anymore. What knowledge are we seeking to fill us up? It's difficult to wrap our minds around thinking about this type of knowledge. The letter prays that the Ephesians would have the power to comprehend, the power to get it and notice who is there as witnesses, the power to comprehend with all the saints. Friends, the saints is a reference to those that have died. Notice that it is the faithful who have died who are called forth as witnesses to this full knowledge and awareness. I firmly believe that for those who have died in the Lord, their very next moment of awareness will be before our loving God, when at last they will have full knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Those who are with God, they already have this. 
Oh, that we might be able to grasp the breadth and length, height and depth of this love now while we are still here. On this All Saints Day, let's take a moment to consider what our loved ones would say to us about what we need to know in life. What radical knowledge would they encourage us to seek after? I imagine they might say things like this. The key to learning is just to realize you cannot know all things. Tell the truth, especially the truth about God's love in Christ. Show off God as much as you can. Implant ideas at bedtime, just before sleep. Tell your children and your grandchildren. Tell your spouses and your friends, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.